Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Girl, real talk. This whole, it's a new year, time to reinvent myself trash is not the vibe for 2024. You can find someone who loves you for you, as you are. You don't need to read a stack of self-help books, only eat sad salads, or like start meditating at 5 a.m. to be ready for dating. So yeah, my advice is to download Bumble and find someone who embraces you the way you are right now. Let me know how it goes. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Big box retailers led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a bill in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. Senate Bill 1838 would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, visit handsoffmyrewards.com and tell them to oppose credit card routing legislation paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. As you know, if you are a politician, if you do anything in your life that even slightly smacks of anything distasteful or anything sort of strange, anything that you could possibly do that would like separate you in some interesting way that like you would never be able to have that. And I had to like make a choice where I was like, you know, I actually want to live the life I want to live and I want to I don't want to be hiding any parts of this. Like This is all actually super important to me. My name is Jordan Kistner, and this is Thresholds, a series of conversations with writers about experiences that completely turned them upside down, disoriented them in their lives, changed them, and changed how and why they wanted to write. Okay, Jordan here. Uh, And I want to start this week by talking about something that happened actually once we had turned off the tape recorder to talk to this week's guest, the inimitable Carmen Marie Machado. My producer Drew and I drove down to Philadelphia where she lives to talk to her in a studio near her house. And uh, afterwards, after we'd kind of turned off the tape and packed up uh, and gotten in the car to give her a ride home, she and I kind of kept bouncing back and forth this part of the conversation that you will hear on tape about whether we prefer writing fiction or nonfiction. She said that she vastly prefers fiction and finds writing nonfiction really uncomfortable. And I was saying, oh my God, I find writing fiction so uncomfortable. So we were going back and forth about why that is. And one reason she gave for loving to write fiction was, uh, 
I'll paraphrase, she said something like, well, I really like being able to set up a series of problems, narrative or intellectual, like to set up a bunch of problems and then solve them, like to be able to kind of construct a world, introduce the problems and write through them. And I kind of flippantly was like, oh my God, I couldn't possibly write fiction. I have no imagination to make new problems. I feel like I've got, there are too many problems already that I want to write about that I can't imagine making new ones, which first of all, I fully recant because since this conversation, all I've really wanted to do is read fiction, including Carmen's, because there is something really compelling to me about the way that fiction can construct a set of intellectual questions or problems or ideas or narrative or emotional. And then within the bounds of the world that the writer makes, find some resolution to those. There's something really satisfying about that to me right now because the world so rarely offers that. And nonfiction, which has to kind of occupy the space of the real world, is rarely afforded that privilege either. But also I've been thinking about it and 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 I think I was being disingenuous when I said, oh man, you know, I don't, I don't want to make up new problems. But also in nonfiction, often writers write out of an attempt to kind of set up some parameters around a problem to confine it or define it in such a way that then the problem can be soluble. And that's actually an impulse in nonfiction that you can really, really see in Carmen's most recent book, which is a memoir of a relationship that she went through that eventually became a an abusive relationship and it's her, her attempt to excavate and investigate what was happening in the in the space of that relationship and this conversation is the first one really the first and only we had in this set of interviews where the writer wanted to come in and talk about writing itself as a threshold so I had imagined we might talk a little bit about the content of the memoir. And really, Carmen described her threshold as the experience of trying to write the book and really trying to survive writing the book, which is something I feel like a lot of writers would relate to. Uh, I certainly did. Because often writing or writing a book feels like an insoluble problem, feels like trying to get something out of yourself that isn't maybe gettable. And that's the subject of our conversation for today, among many other things. And with that, I give you Carmen Maria Machado. So there was just like a lot of these moments where I I feel like I had to make choices about my sort of public persona, but I almost always sort of gravitated toward like being as honest as possible like, I had to be like, okay, like, I this does make me worry about, like, I don't know, my future on, like, say, academia. Because at the time, I actually was, like, very interested. I mean, now I, I do teach, but I, I'm not as interested in, like, academia as, like, a sort of end career goal. But that was, for a long time, something I wanted to think about. And so I was like, oh, like, I actually have to um, make a decision like that. I have to think about that. Um, but then deciding, well, I do really, really want that to be like part of my life and it seems important and it seems like hiding it just seems unnecessary and then I feel like that that also sort of extends I mean to like sort of move into the present like I feel like that extended into the memoir so like the choice and I'd written nonfiction before and I'd talked you know so this isn't as if the first time I'd ever like written any nonfiction but you know at some point it was really important to me 
it's like I hate the expression like live out loud. Like I feel like it's so <laughs> but I feel like it was really important to me to be like, OK, like it is super scary and really uh, just, you know, to like do this, this and this to like write about this thing really openly to write about myself in nonfiction, to write about sex that I had, to write about desire, to write about my own, like, you know, the worst parts of of that experience, the worst thing that's ever happened to me, and write about it in nonfiction, like, not not sort of under the guise of, you know, like, a fictional shell or that, you know, that way that, like, fiction has that sort of, like, lubricating effect where it's like, oh, you know, it's it's kind of, you're, you're like, is it real? It's like, well, it could be kind of whatever, you know, but, like, with this, it's like, okay, I have to make decisions about, like, you know. Well, and with fiction, you're not going to be asked to answer for it in the terms of your own life. You might be, but you can you can give whatever answer you want. <laughs> People will ask you. People are like obviously like very interested when you write fiction. They want they, everyone wants to know like did this really happen to you? It's funny because for my first book, my story, The Resident, which is probably by far the, the least autobiographical story in that entire collection. Like it is, it's only relevant to me in that like it's set in the Poconos, which is a place I used to go camping as a Girl Scout. I was a Girl Scout, and I'd been to an artist resident. That is literally the only things in that story that are like autobiographical. Everything that happens in that story is fictional. People are always like, that seems like your most autobiographical story. This is all the time to me. And I'm like, what makes you say that? I guess it just seems really real, which is great. But no, no, no. Like everything that happens to that character, completely made up, completely invented. And people do seem really fixated on that question. But with fiction, you can give any answer you want. Like, even if somebody was like, your story mothers, which is like very autobiographical, like they could say like, is that real? And I could be like, no, it's fiction. I made it up. It's fiction. Like you can't, like you can't push any harder than that. I can just say it's fiction. But with nonfiction, all of that goes away, right? And you no longer have this protective layer. I mean, you, you protect it insofar as you can decide to answer or not answer questions. And that's about it, you know? And either way, the book still exists. So when you were sitting down to begin this book, did you sit down thinking this is going to be a memoir or did it begin as something that you thought I'm going to keep I'm going to keep the protective layer on and write this as fiction? Well, I've discovered in my career that Apparently, a, the only way I can write nonfiction, as it turns out, is if I've written fiction about it for, about the same topic first. So this is true of of the material in the memoirs. I have a story, Mothers, in my first collection, and also I have a story that's called Blur. That's that was published in Tin House, which are two short stories that use sort of speculative elements to explore this as a topic and so mothers you know uses this idea of two women one woman getting another woman pregnant and and then the blur is sort of a it's very much in conversation with this um shirley jackson's short story that i love called the tooth um and it's sort of and there's this figure in the tooth in throughout the book the lottery the collection the lottery um of this man in the blue suit jim and so he appears in this story as well. And this woman is on her way to visit an abusive girlfriend and loses her glasses at a rest stop. And this man appears and basically takes her, like takes her onto the highway uh, and walks her, says he's going to walk her there. Those are both short stories with fictional premises, with spe- heavy, heavy speculative premises that 
you know, was my attempt to explore the material and I think gave me sort of space to then think about it in a more nonfiction way. I've also done this with writing about fatness. So like I wasn't able to write my essay, The Trash Heap Has Spoken, until I wrote the story Eight Bites because in my first collection, because Eight Bites to me was like my attempt to, I think, put language to a lot of questions that I had about or not questions, but a lot of like sort of interrogation of my own emotional state around the fat body and around sort of discussions that we have about the fat body and families and mothers and daughters and all these, all these terrible questions. And so I, um, that became actually a, a sort of avenue for me to then write this like nonfiction essay, which I'd been trying to write for a long time, but had simply never taken. And whenever I would go to write it, it would feel preachy and it would feel, like I wasn't saying anything new and I would write it and be like, Bleh. but then once I'd written fiction, it like opened up this whole new space for me. And I feel the same way with the memoir. I feel like when I first started trying to write just like sort of straightforward material before I'd written much fiction about it, the, it just didn't, it just wasn't, nothing was catching, you know, like, like there's this, I mean, you know that, you know that process as a writer, a thing is either like catching or it's not. And, and I was just like, oh my God, this is so terrible. This is like, all this writing is awful. And it, it was like, it really helps to have fiction as a space to sort of have that freedom and then engage in in the both, in the na- sort of the narrowing of the rules and then also the emotional sort of nakedness that's required or the sort of the, 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 the nakedness of the essay, which is like, you can't hide behind fiction. Was there a moment when you kind of realized what you were doing, that you were writing this memoir that was nonfiction, that was going to have your name on it, that was going to be all of this and that everyone was going to read it? I mean, yeah, I when I was so I, I, I sold like a really early draft and I feel like I didn't fully understand what I was doing. I mean, the, it's so weird because my first book took, you know, eight months to sell. And I, it was like, you know, this agonizing period of my life, you know, and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then the memoir, I sold it in like three days because like Grey Wolf bought it. And so they were like, do you have another book? I was like, I do this very, very weird, very like skeletal draft of this like strange thing I'm working on. And then they bought it. And it happened so quickly that I... I sort of just like, oh, okay. It was just like, it, like, I don't even know how to explain it. It was such a weird process. And I I was like, it could not have been more different than, my, than like the selling the first book. And so I felt very sort of a little bit like it was like not even, it wasn't real. And then I didn't work on it because I sold it right before the Her, Her Body and the Parties came out. And so then I went on tour for Her Body and the Parties and I didn't think about the memoir or talk about the memoir for like a year and a half. And then when I returned to sort of real life and then I had to, I went to several residencies in a row and I sat down with a book, the skeletal thing that I'd written and realized I had to like add all this material to it and just got very overwhelmed. And I was doing research and I was writing and I kept having these like really strange sort of moments of like, you know, where I would suddenly like kind of come to and be like, what am I doing? Like, yeah, like what am I doing? This is so stupid. And I kept thinking like, okay, if you, okay, real talk, if you, if you stopped doing this book, if you were like, I can't do this, what does that look like? And I was like, well, I have to give the money back, first of all, which that would suck because I spent, <laughs> spent the first, I'd spent what I had. Uh, and then the book wouldn't exist, which would be hard. Um, but also then you wouldn't have to finish it. But I was like, the money thing is really big. It's not a, I mean, it wasn't like it was a huge piece of money, but it was more money than I had. And I was like, and I don't want to disappoint. I know that was that worry of like disappointing but I feel like I had many moments where I was sort of like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. 
Yeah, it was a horrible, so horrible summer. I mean, it was like really, really bad. And I was, the, I was in New Mexico. I was like at this residency, trying to finish this stupid thing. And yeah, I kept thinking like I can't believe, and, and also feeling like it, it wasn't real, like it wasn't real, it wasn't happening. It, it was such a mess. It didn't feel like a book. Like it didn't, it, you know, it felt like this kind of random amalgamation of thoughts. Even though I was going through many stages of edits with my editor, and I was writing a whole lot, and you know, like it was real. It was real, but I didn't feel real. I mean, I feel like I didn't even feel real until I, like, printed it out at the end of, like, that year in, like, December. I, like, printed out, like, a, like, the whole thing just, like, on a, <laughs> I was at Bard College. I, like, used the Bard, like, English department <laughs> printer and printed out, like, this 280-page book or whatever, whatever it ended up being on the manuscript pages. And, and I was like, oh, it's actually a physical thing. It's, like, a real physical thing. Did you ever actually almost stop? Oh, yeah, many times. I mean, I really thought I, I really thought I wouldn't be able to. Uh, I didn't think I was going to like survive the process. I, I, I mean, I was in a very, very dark place, and I know. So it's in New Mexico, and then I went, and then I went to Bard in like September. So I just like, yeah, it was like three months in New Mexico, and then three months in. What does feeling you like you might not survive the process mean? Like that I, I would hurt myself in some way, or that like I was sort of not that like I was, I was just not. And like not, I don't mean it sounds so dramatic to say that, but I mean I really was like, I don't know. So I feel like the weirdest thing about writing that book was that I kept thinking about how, I, I kept thinking about how I, I kept well I kept worrying that I was not up for the task of it, was sort of part of the problem, and that was both the emotional task of the book, but also like I, I feel like I had actually cut off a very. Like, more, I just take a bit enough more that I could chew because it was, like, it required a kind of, like, academic eye. And as I've, I mentioned, I mean, I, I did, which I don't I don't possess. You know, I'm not an academic. I'm not a historian. I'm not a researcher. Like, I, nothing that in my entire her career or experience of any kind had prepared me for working on a book like that and, and doing that research. And so I worried I wasn't up to the task sort of physically. And then I worried that I wasn't emotional or like intellectually. And then I worried I wasn't emotionally up for the task because I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. I mean, I would, I would just cry for hours or I would like just lie down, you know, and there was, I mean, there was some other stuff going on too, but I, I, I was just, I was really just uncertain and I kept, and I kept having these realizations like you are way more fucked up about this than you thought you were. Like you thought you were so much, you thought this was going to be like, an, a slightly unpleasant task and this is like destroying you on like a cellular level and like you are way you are way more fucked up about this than you realized and then I was like oh my god should I be reading this book right now like why am I because I feel like this question of like when are you ready to write about an emotional experience is like a really interesting one and I mean one people ask have been asking me about obviously nonstop on this tour and for me part of it is like well, at some point you're like progressing through an emotional state and like you're not really ready to write about it yet. But then at some point it's like, well, your relationship with the material is like a little more a little more fixed or it's moving slower. And so you are able to say things like, okay, like I'm ready to like sort of be into trying to analyze this or but I, but I really was like as I was doing it, I was like this is just way worse than I thought it would be and this is harder. And it was hard to write about the good stuff. 
you know, I mean, it's hard to write the bad stuff, obviously, but it was way harder to be like, what was it like? Actually, I did an interview this literally this morning and the the reviewer um, was like, I was really surprised by how sexy this book was. And I was like, like there were like there were like sexy parts. And I was like, yeah, I know you that fucked up no one more than me. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> right. I had yeah, to like, like think very hot sex between you and this person. Yeah, and it's like the- and it's like having to like go back and think like, OK, what was it like to be turned on at that moment? What was it like to be? happy what was it like to be to feel good and feel safe and feel content and like it's easy to because like you know right with bad stuff it's like well it's bad and I know it's bad and so it's like writing about it it's like just recounting it as I remember but to do the other stuff you have to like access like a past frame of mind that's like gone you know like I don't think I don't think back and think of it as particularly sexy but like it was at the time I mean there's you know and so like there was something really really difficult about it and I just felt like I was peeling off my skin like one sliver at a time. It was just, it was agonizing. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Big box retailers led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a bill in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. Senate Bill 1838 would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, visit handsoffmyrewards.com and tell them to oppose credit card routing legislation paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. I guess I'm wondering if there is like a day in particular that you remember or writing one particular scene or or vignette in the book where you were like it was the it was the nadir or it was the and maybe not like maybe there's not one but I'm curious if I've talked to other friends who are writing books and they're trying to go back and and relitigate in their mind something that has traumatized them or fucked them up in some way and there's like one particular day that they remember about that process or one particular scene i don't know if there's like one moment you know like there are sort of parts of the book that i think are really intense you know it's funny is one of the most intense part of the books i actually had written before like this the scene the driving scene i had written that in an essay that i had published like a few years back and it was the first time that i'd written it at any with any at any length about anything that had happened with my ex and I really I it was really hard to write it and it was good to sort of be able to like go take it and sort of, I had to modify it for the memoir in the sense that it you know obviously it, it was structured a little differently because it was coming in a bigger book and not as half of an essay but um I, I don't know and I feel like it's a surprisingly intense scene considering there are like way worse like there's worse stuff that happens but it was nice to be able to just like deliver that into my mail which is I guess an answer to your question I was like to be able to deliver it into the book you know, more or less intact. I didn't have to, like, write it. You were at Wurlitzer? Yeah, 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 for the summer. So I know that place, but it's a really, really intense, lonely it's place. It's so isolating, yeah. It's so isolating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And felt you're the same way. very, very, like, harshly alone with your work yeah. and your own brain. Yeah. And you're, like, in those little, like, yeah. single-bed cots. Mm-hmm. What did you do there when you were not... <laughs> Like while you were in this process where you're like, I don't know if I can survive this. And I'm in the middle of the desert hours from everything. Mm -hmm. And it's just me in my room. I well, yeah, I mean, that it was hard because, you know, what I've realized since then. And this feels such such a 
like such a sort of weird thing to say like very entitled or something but I really do need residencies that feed me and that have social space because I feel like when I was working at like Yotto like I wrote I mean I was working on mostly the collection but I did work on this memoir at Yotto uh which was in 2016 and I do remember like as intense as it got I could then at like six o'clock or whatever like put on fresh clothes and go to dinner and just See another human being. Yeah, see another – exactly. See another human being, like, talk, socialize, eat. And at Wurlitzer, it was really hard because I, I wasn't eating and I was – I mean, I was eating, but I you know, was cooking for myself. But but cooking was so hard because I was so exhausted from the whole process that I would just, like, eat, like, cracker. I mean, you know, I mean, I did cook a little, but I also – which I, I – normally I cook a lot at home, but I was just, like, so wiped out. And the idea of making a meal was so completely, like – unthinkable to me that I just sort of yeah I just sort of scattered right past it and I just like ate weird foods and yeah and then I was really alone you know I would take walks around town I mean I would I read a lot of graphic novels because my brain was too fried it was like I was doing all this research and all this like nonfiction reading and the idea of reading like a regular novel was like just fucking unthinkable to me like I was so tired and so I just read like a ton of graphic novels because I feel like I could I could move through them more quickly um and i really yeah i mean that i watched a lot of bar rescue <laughs> what is that oh my god it's like the most ridiculous it's just it's basically like kitchen nightmares but with bars so it's just like my bar is falling apart help and this very very tall man who's got a really angry voice uh has a lot of feelings about your bar and how your bar is failing and <laughs> comes and yells at you and then they sort of process this narrative there's like this narrative about you know it, like kitchen nightmares it's often about like fa- failed sons and fathers and brothers it's like a lot of men fucking up and all these poor women being like i just want to make a living i just want my husband doesn't know how to cook but he insists on running a restaurant or whatever you know anyway it's i find it very soothing um very formulaic and i watch like eight seasons of it or something like there's a lot of that show I mean, I, you know, it was really hard because also my, my spouse usually reads everything that I write. Like She's my first reader. But for obvious reasons, she didn't want to have to read every draft of this book in the same way that she would have normally. And so um, it also was hard because, I, you know, my it, I just didn't have her perspective. And I think she's she's like a really good reader. And, and so that was really hard. And I do remember like towards the end. Like, I kept being like, this doesn't even feel like a book. It doesn't feel like a book. My editor was like, it's definitely a book. Like, it's like, we're close. Like, we're really close. And I was like, this doesn't even look like a book to me. And then I wrote to this friend of mine, um, Mark, who's lovely. And Mark Mayer, he's this beautiful, beautiful writer. He has this book called Aerialist that's really good. And he's just a dear, dear friend. And I wrote to him and I was like, please just look at this and tell me if it um, is a book. <laughs> like, can you tell me, can you assure me this is not a hot pile of flaming garbage? And he looked at it and he was like, it's not a hot pile of flaming garbage. It's really beautiful. And here's why. And it was like really, really helpful to me to have like another person who was not my editor, you know, somebody who just was like sort of separate, like look at it and sort of say that. And then I felt like I had arrived at some piece you know, I had sort of arrived at a place where I, the book, and then I remember at some point sitting down and reading through it, like you would read through the book. Because also, like, putting the book in order was, like, a whole thing, because also I was writing these pieces, like, kind of out of order. Um, like, I wrote all the research pieces in one go, and so, like, then they were just, like, in a chunk, like, in the book, but, like, they had to be kind of, like, you know, 
pulled apart and like put where they belonged and so I feel like a lot of the process too was like putting it in order so then reading it in order I felt like oh I sort of see like I see okay I could it feels right like it does feel like an actual book that one could read in a between about two covers you know (laughs) which is such a weird also like a weird process was it odd to have to impose an external order almost a narrative order on this experience Oh, it was impossible, which is why I made my, I made my editor do it. <laughs> I didn't actually do it myself. Uh, yeah, I tried. I really tried. And, and I, I was so hysterical by the end of the process, like crying, like just like, I can't do this. I can't make my brain. I, my brain was not working. Like I was really like at the I was just felt completely wrung out, like emotionally, intellectually. And I said, Ethan, like, can you just probably put this in order for me? And then I'll like. I'll give you feedback on your like or I'll I'll, then I can take what you do and I can sort of fuss with it a little bit and he was like of course he's like absolutely he's like you know I don't want to step on your toes but of course if you want me to do it I'll do it that's a part of my job and so he like (laughs) I was using Scrivener for it because I had the moving piece like all these little moving pieces and he downloaded Scrivener and then used my Scrivener draft so he could move things around and he like texted me and he was like it's like playing a video game I was like it's like I like playing a video game isn't it um but yeah, and then he put it in order and sent it back to me. And then like basically, I, I mean, I, I did make a couple tiny changes, but mostly it was like the version that he put it in and it really looked good and it made sense. It was like, I think I think for me, part of the problem is that I really work well with other people and I like having sort of like external people to bounce stuff off of, to talk to, to show my work to. I feel like I work really well in that way. Um, and when I'm just, at least with this sort of book, and it, when I was left my own devices, I was just, it was such a, I was a mess, you know? Like, it feels like that whole summer and fall didn't even happen, you know? Like, it just really does feel like, a dr- like, people are like, and I was just gone. For, I was away from my spouse. For, I was out of my home for six months. Like, I was just gone, which is, like, really weird, you know? <laughs> it's a really weird it's just it's weird to think about it and it's weird this book exists and sometimes I look at it and I feel like I don't and I have a very ambivalent relationship with it as a you know I feel like it's like a child I don't quite like I don't really know what to do with that either I think something like I think what I want to ask you is who you think you would be if not for that period where you were out of your life and out of that blur came this book. You were clearly moved to write this book. Uh-huh. And then the process of writing the book was so excruciating. I didn't think being moved to write the book is actually the right way to describe it. I think I had to pass the book like a kidney stone. You know, I think I had to get it out of my system. I had to get it out of my own way. Because I had other things I wanted to do. And it felt like this book. Because my first book, I had started it before my ex and I started dating. But this book was the first book that was sort of born, like, in a world where that was my rea- that was my entire reality. And I, I think that I, I needed to get it out of my own way. And so I, I don't, I mean, it's like, it's trying to imagine, like, it's like, it's not as if I, like, got an inspiration one day. I was like, I think I'll write that book. Like, it's like. I feel like it feels inevitable. It feels as seared into my timeline as like any any other fact about me, you know. But I do imagine, I mean, like I imagine a world like maybe where like I said to my spouse, I had to write this book and she was like, I don't think you should sell that book right now. Like I'm trying to imagine like a version of the world where like I just made the decision not to work on it for whatever reason or I didn't, you know. 
And I don't know, I think I'd probably be a little healthier, to be quite honest. I think I would be a little happier. I'd be, I mean, I would have, who knows what I would have written over those six months. I had those residencies already lined up. So it's like, and I had all these plans. I thought I was going to finish the memo really quickly and then I could like write, work on something else. And I had all these plans. I didn't fucking, fucking, didn't, I, I didn't do anything else. So I don't know. I guess I sort of feel like, yeah, the me that didn't write this book, I don't know. She's probably a lot happier, a lot healthier. Because I mean, think about thing about books too is, is it goes on and on. You know, it's not just it's like it's like writing the book, which took forever, and now it touring the book, so having to talk about it, and and in a way, I mean, it's like, you know, I get I get emails about it every day, literally every day. I get emails from strangers, messages on Instagram, all kinds. I get like five a day easily. And sometimes it's just people saying, like, thanks for writing. It's nice of people being like, here's all the stuff that happened to me. You know what I mean? Like, which is, like, fine. But also, uh, I feel like in a way it's like, and, and I feel like I've, I've had this I, this hesitation that I had, which is, like, you know, when you write about trauma, it, it, there's this worry, I think, that it'll, like, mark you as, like, the writer who did the X thing, right? And, like, I hope for the rest of my career people are like, oh, yeah, that's that, <laughs> that's that bitch you wrote that book about domestic, queer domestic violence, like, you know... So that, and that makes me nervous, you know, and I, but I, cause I just want to write fiction again. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. So I don't know. I don't know like what that looks like. I don't know what, um, who, what she would look like, except she would probably be, she'd probably be a little better. And now I like what you've just described is that it, it doesn't feel over, even though you've, you made it through that really intense horrifying crush of having to write the book the the process is still sort of happening because totally. it's still showing up in your inbox and you still have to account for it mm-hmm. all the time but i'm wondering if you can see or imagine or predict what it will feel like once it's passed like it what you passed. what you might get to do i mean i imagine it'll be nice to not have to talk about it anymore i mean i look forward to like I just look forward to returning to fiction and being able to like make what I want to make, you know, and I just find fiction so much more pleasurable to write. And I, I look forward to that being the thing people want to talk to me about and they want to ask me because, you know, it's funny, like for this pro for this book, for the memoir, like people keep asking me about it's like I like craft questions. I'm very interested in craft and I'm way less interested in questions of like autobiography and questions of, you know, f- fact which doesn't say it's not interesting, but it's like, I'd rather talk about like why I structured something or why I made this choice or that choice. Cause that to me just feels more interesting. And so I look forward to being asked those questions again. People have been asking them, but I not as much. I keep having to just say like, I love craft questions. Ask me those, you know, during events. Don't be like, tell me about your feelings. Yeah. Tell me <laughs> about all your feelings. I'm like, I don't want to talk about my feelings. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, I really enjoy inventing things. I enjoy, I enjoy the the act of creation as a creative. Like I'm always in my that sweet spot. I love just being able to like create something out of nothing. And there feels something really like beautiful about that to me and really magical. Very like childlike and playful. And I feel like with nonfiction, it just feels like a different animal to me, you know? And I find it much less pleasant. Well now you did it. 
And now I did it. You did your one. I did the one. Yeah, we'll see if I have another one in me in like 20 years, but probably not. (laughs) You never know, you might turn into a poet. Oh my God. God, Lord help us all. Thresholds is a production of Lit Hub Radio. We're produced by Drew Broussard and Justin Alvarez. Music by Laura Faye Oshavud of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Kirsten Huber, and special thanks to Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. I'm Jordan Kissner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jordan.kissner. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.